Welcome to the Get Healthier Podcast with Rena Jadhav, who's on a quest to uncover breakthroughs and cures in living longer, healthier, and happier. Genetic testing, stem cells, rattling, talking to Silicon Valley geniuses and the best doctors in the world about the hottest products and programs to make you live an amazingly joyful life. Are you ready? Now, here's your host, Rena. Hi, everyone. Welcome. This is Rena, and we're talking about genocide today fast food genocide, how processed food is killing us, and what can we do about it. And as you know, in our podcast, we're all about living longer. And here with us today is Dr. Joel Furman to tell us we're certainly going to not live a very long, healthy, happy life if we continue down the path that we are moving. Our amazing expert today, Dr. Furman, is a board-certified family physician, nutritional researcher who specializes in preventing and reversing disease through nutritional and natural methods, which is why I love him so much. He is the president of the Nutritional Research Foundation, and he is the author of several books, including the New York Times bestsellers, Eat to Live Superimmunity, Eat to Live Cookbook, The End of Dieting and the End of Diabetes. Dr. Farman, welcome. Thank you. Glad to talk to you today and your listeners excited about this. You must be so excited. Your baby comes out October 17th. Yeah, I'm thrilled. This is really a you know a book I've been working on for years and years. I'm just really excited about this. It's, some people have read it. They said they really couldn't put it down. That's my best book ever. And it's just so critical for our nation to have this information. It's so critical for in so many aspects that people have no idea how these foods are destructive to. We're talking about lowering intelligence, increasing violence, drug use, crime, not just dementia, obesity, you know, strokes and you know, people don't even know the, the potential harm from the foods they're eating. For example, just to, before we get started, one basic example, that people who live in urban areas that eat fast food regularly, and of course we know all people, most people live in urban areas do, have seven times the risk of stroke before age 45. And they're flooding nursing homes now with people in the prime of their life who are now, conf- who are now paralyzed or crippled because of fast food exposure. It's just that people have no idea what's going on, and this information has to be um, taught to America. It's a tragedy, and it's very important for us to support doctors like you that are out there communicating and sharing this very powerful truth that, for some reason, we don't want the world to know. We don't want people to know that what they're eating is what's contributing to their illness. It's not age, and it's certainly not genetics, which is how I think we all justify to ourselves, well, my mom had it, or my dad had it, and um, that's probably why I'm sick, and I'm sure you're going to tell us how that's completely not the case. It's literally what we are putting in our mouth. But you know, I'm going to start with the most important question, which is, what is fast food? Because you're redefining fast food. You're not saying fast food is just what you grab. It's not the triple fried um, chicken with a basket of fries, you know, that's not just fast food. So tell our listeners, what are you defining as fast food now? Well, of course, that's fast food too, but I'm just being more inclusionary to make a wider net and to rec- and to, the, to utilize the term fast food, not only foods that are served in a fast food restaurant, because obviously there's even the potential in the future or for certain commercial fast food establishments to be serving something healthy, like a salad or a bean chili. They're so fast. But, but in any case, we're talking here about, um, foods, all processed foods in bags and, you know, and, um, 
you know, we're talking about candy and soda and donuts and cookies and what things made with white flour, sugar and oil. And we're talking about things you buy in convenience stores and supermarkets and bags like potato chips. And we're talking about things that can be consumed fast. They can be, they don't have to be prepared. They can be just opened up and eaten because they're highly refined. They're digested fast. Their calories are calorically dense and their calories are absorbed very rapidly into the bloodstream because the rapid absorption of calories signals that that signals brain stimulation that makes them addicting and they contain synthetic ingredients and chemicals which make them further damaging to the body and they're also void of usually void of fiber and very low or, or, or not containing significant load of micronutrients so we're talking about fast food consists of most processed foods and junk food which people you know buy and parents feed their children they bring their cookies and donuts and and cupcakes and things like that to baseball games and soccer practices destroying the intelligence of their own children predisposing their children to later life diseases and and, and crimes you know just to if i can stick in one interesting fact here which people have no Absolutely. idea of this one either that the consumption between donuts cupcakes and candy before the age of 10 shows a greater relation with adult crime and adult illegal drug use than any other parameter, including lack of parenting, bad parenting, or poverty. More than any other parameter, the it's eating candy and junk food that's the number one causative contributor to, to later life drug use, abuse, and illegal drug use and the number and the and the majority of people incarcerated in federal prisons are there for non non violent drug related offenses. We flood our criminal system with people who are using drugs and this starts with the addiction they get to sugar and other products from fast food and candy, which which destroys brain cells and, and it gives you an abnormal brain that's seeking stimulation later on in life. You asked me to define fast foods, and I have to say right now that in that within that definition, that's the majority of calories, the major source of calories that Americans consume right now are within that category of fast foods. So we're talking about a massive, you know, I call it fast food genocide, a massive crisis here on destroying people's lives and also damaging our genes. Less so, we're now having children, and our children are started out with an increased propensity towards lowered intelligence, autoimmune conditions, autism, violence, obesity, diabetes, and cancer because of what their parents ate. So we're talking about destructive to the future of our genetic pool as well through epigenetic changes. That's what makes this so damaging and so impactful as a genocide, which people have no idea how serious this is. That's, you know, contributing to things people have no idea. They just think it causes obesity. That's you know, right. They don't, That's right. Yeah. They don't realize that it causes far more than just obesity. And of course, it causes chronic illness, etc. But I think the point you're raising of that it actually causes violence. Of course, we, we've known it causes depression, anxiety, but the fact that it causes uh, aggressive behavior, violent behavior, we, you know, we just recently went through a, a terrible tragedy in Las Vegas. And a lot of my family that's outside of the U.S., we have family in Australia, family in India, they're constantly reaching out and saying, what is going on in America? What are you guys doing? I mean, what is driving these insane attacks? And of course, gun control is a whole different podcast. But to focus on food, I think the reason we're seeing the kind of overflooding of jails with violent criminals, with addicts, and we're starting to see such awful, awful tragedies like what just happened in in Vegas is 
exactly what you're writing about. So my question to you, Dr. Furman, is your book read by an addict is a lot less powerful than your book read by a non-addict who's got a family to raise. Who, who do you, who did you write this book for? You know, I was first, the first, the officials of the NAACP asked me if I could speak in urban communities to help elevate health there. And I went to black churches and things like that. And then they asked me, could I put some books to a book together to help to give out? And I, st- I started that started me thinking about this to begin with. And I first started the book about, you know, let's get people in need in urban communities to understand the importance of nutrition. But as I wrote the book, I realized, you know, this book has to be a, a more comprehensive look at this subject and be broader than that and more intellectual and be fully referenced with a thousand references with all the studies. And then other people can make smaller versions, can make versions for kids and versions for, you know, they can, they can extract, use this as the, the, um, the, you know, the, the textbook, the mothership, make, mm-hmm. the mothership, and then they can make other things from it. But, you know, I think that this book is, is necessary for Americans to read politicians, celebrities, athletes, all of us, educators, teachers, I mean, we have to be, it has to be reading, writing, arithmetic, and nutritional science because people don't know the implications for their lives is affected by what they put in their mouth. It, they're, they're, the implications are so broad and we're destroying America right now. And so many people, millions of people's lives are being destroyed because of the food. And you just brought up, you know, the shooting in, in, in Las Vegas, the horrible tragedy we just had last week. And, and, you know, I, I don't want to bring, relate that to fast food, but I do want to say this. That, that we, let's look at the studies, what the studies do show. We don't know what any, what motivated any one individual, but the studies show that people who eat fast food just twice a week, we're talking about two servings a week, and we're considering commercial baked goods. We're not just pizza and hot dogs and burgers and fries, but they're including having a donut or a bagel in there too, two serve, or a croissant, two servings of, of white flour, sugar, oil, commercial baked goods a week or fast food a week doubles your risk of depression. And wow. so we're talking about mental illness being promoted by even a small amount of fast food. And then the studies showed that over the 51% from two servings a week, the continual exposure to mental illness went up in a dose-dependent manner. The dose-dependent manner means three servings went up past 51%, four servings more, six servings more, seven servings more, eight servings more, went up from 51% was the baseline of two servings a week. So the point I'm making right now is we dramatically underestimate the effect of poor food and poor nutrition on mental illness, we see it causing diabetes. People understand it's causing obesity and strokes and heart attacks. They know that people live in urban environments and eat mostly fast food. This source of calories have 10 times the heart attack risk of people who eat no fast food. But they don't understand the link between fast food and mental illness. That's just, just being begun to be seeing the tip of the iceberg being exposed here. And we're starting to see mental illness in teens. Uh, accelerated an unprecedented rate. There's um, a recent um, podcast I was actually listening to, which claimed that 25% of teen girls are depressed. That's an incredibly unbelievable number. When um, it turns out there there was only seven to eight percent teen depression just I think a decade ago. So we're starting to see, to your point, that the fast food addiction that this this entire community that you, that our culture is living in is creating some very significant healthcare burdens as well so of course it's a, there's a life issue we you can't live a long healthy happy life but there's also a healthcare burden cost here so you wrote this book for urban how about schools because i feel like no i wrote it i didn't really i wrote it for everybody but i did highlight 
those urban areas that are most vulnerable and went through the and, and went through the history sub, since the Civil War and to show to, to relate racism and bigotry to the food to food exposure and food availability. And I showed that when when the slaves um, when the slaves were first released after the Civil War and these black Americans at that point knew how to grow their own food in the South and had exposure to vegetables. They had more centenarians, more people that lived to be a hundred years old in the black community than in the white community. And the health of the whites due to pellagra was rampant from niacin deficiency from their corn heavy diet, right. leading to more, leading to more violence and lynchings and violent aggressive behavior in, in southern whites than southern blacks. And then, then the Jim Crow laws were passed and we had the white supremacy movement spur up and then dra- the, the blacks were driven into northern cities. So I'm um, dispelling the myth that um, that blacks aren't as healthy. You learn in medical school, you know, you, you even learn in medical school that, oh, black populations, they're more prone to obesity, diabetes, and heart attacks. That's bull crap. You know, they're, it's, it's, it's the food dummy. That's it's not, right. the, it's not ra- This is race. That's racism that's to a degree. Right. You know what I mean? We're talking about black communities that have suffered. They suffer because their lack of opportunity and lack of food exposure, but they've been, and I, I go through this history of, of the Jim Crow laws and the white supremacy movement, which started in California and the southern states, where they where they started driving the blacks out and creating um, violence against the black population, black Americans, um, and that Hitler picked up the eugenic movement. That the Hitler, the, this um, the extermination of the Jews and the white supremacy movement that they picked up in Germany on the Nuremberg trials came mm-hmm. from the southern white supremacists who wrote this book about the supremacy of the white races. They used the same books and the same textbooks. So I'm putting together the historical aspect of how this came about. And the fact that how how bigotry and racism was exacerbated by food distribution and by the and the processed food industry during World War One and World War Two when we developed, when we invented Tang and instant coffee and Twinkies and food and spam and food right. to be in the battlefield and then we started supplying these battlefield concentrated calorie foods with no micronutrients in them right. so people can carry food in their pocket we started making bringing food to the inner cities and people no longer had food distribution from the farms. We no That's longer right. could rely on just food, on farm food. We had to rely on convenience stores and fast food places. Um, and then we saw um, these problems develop both in health and with propensity to advance in life and to be realize the American dream, mostly due to food deprivation and the availability and the lack of availability of high nutrient food choices, which affect the brain. So what I'm so I'm saying that this. This is all interrelated, and this this story is very interesting. And there's a lot of information here that I want people to put the pieces together because it it um it allow us to make better decisions in our future, to better America, to work together on equality and wellness for all people, and to solve our healthcare crisis, and yeah. to realize that we don't have to have all these sick people, and we can have a whole better America with people having been performing better in their jobs, and able to concentrate in their work, to be making more money, to be coming out of poverty. All that we have, we can't just solve this from the top down. We have to solve it from the bottom up. And that means we have to go with how we're feeding our population. I told you, we can absolutely have a happier, longer living America. No doubt about it. But you're right. We've got to start from bottom up. We've got to start with every family. It's one family at a time converting from that life of convenience to a life of nature, to a life of I grow my vegetables or I buy from the farmer's market and I cook everything. One of the things that I think when I've spoken to a lot of my friends, they, they have a hard time processing is, you know, how do you switch? How do you go from a life of convenience that we've been living, right? Where I get a very healthy, organic frozen meal from my freezer and I cook it in about five minutes and I feel good because it says organic. I look at the ingredients 
Um, I don't see any preservatives. It says no preservatives. It says no colors. So I'm feeling really good as a mother that I'm feeling my, you know, I'm feeding my family healthy organic food. But you would call it fast food because it comes from a freezer, which means it doesn't have the nutri same nutritional density or as Ayurveda would say, it's just not alive. The food is dead. So whatever you're eating out of a freezer is really, again, dead food. So you have to switch to cooking. Dr. Furman, that's where everything falls apart. We have created well, I'm a not, community. I'm not, necessarily, I'm not necessarily agreeing with that, but I could, oh, I, please I could share, go. Share your perspective on that. Okay. Um, certainly lots of frozen foods are junk food, but when you freeze a vegetable like a broccoli or peas or corn or pomegranate seeds or wild blueberries, they still maintain over 90% of their original nutrient content. And so I don't consider most, I don't think that frozen food is considered a fast food or processed food. If it's a wholesome natural food that was frozen, very well. Meal? What about a frozen meal? Well, that's what I'm saying. Like an enchilada? Yeah, of course. It depends on what you froze. If you just froze some wild blueberries, they're still good to eat. If you yes. froze some processed foods that you overly cooked and you caused the acrylamide formation because it was fried or cooked or overly baked, then it's the bad food. But it's not the freezing process that's right. bad for it. It was the way it was cooked originally. Um, that, that's the major. And like you're saying, and we're in perfect agreement on the concept that the most important thing that's been proven to extend human life and extend healthy life expectancy is eating a diet rich in micronutrients. We need all the, we need a micronutrient adequacy, and that means an excellent amount of micronutrients. And micronutrients do not contain calories. They're vitamins and minerals and phytochemicals and antioxidants. Many of them are fragile. Many of them are destroyed with heat. Many of them, but so we're talking here, saying your diet is organic is almost meaningless mm -hmm. because you could eat organic food that has no nutrients in it. And the, the, the pesticide residue was not the major source of disease. It's the lack of nutrients that's the major source of disease. That's where, where I, def I say the only thing proven in the history of science to extend the lifespan of all animals, including primates and humans, is moderate or mild caloric restriction. That means not overeating calories in a, in a high micronutrient environment that includes um, the full spectrum of micronutrients humans need. And to achieve that spectrum of nutrients that humans need, you have to eat a certain amount of vegetables each day that are high nutrient foods. You know, we're talking here about, you know, over a pound of vegetables a day to reach the nutrients the brain needs. But the brain needs a continual supply of antioxidants from mm -hmm. berries and greens and mushrooms and onions and things like that. So and you can't get those in a pill, can you? You cannot get them in a pill because they, you can get some, but you can't get the full spectrum because there, there are thousands of different nutrients that work synergistically in food. We can extract some of them, but very often we try to extract them in a pill. We create imbalances, and we create a high levels of some that are too concentrated and low levels of the others, so we don't get the same effect. So what I'm saying is that we, and, and as, you're say, as you're saying, that when we're eating the foods that are processed, they also create toxicity from the cooking, also from the way they're cooked, especially when things are fried or baked. Mm -hmm. One thing to keep in mind with regard to fast food, what makes them so exceedingly dangerous, is a lot of the food is grilled or cooked under a high flame or it's, or it's fried. When you're frying a piece of chicken or a french fry, and they're also cooking those foods in oil that's been cooked to fry somebody else's meal. That's right. They're reheating the oil, which causes, which causes rancidity. Right. And those, there's hundreds of rancidity compounds that are carcinogenic, mutagenic, and teratogenic. That means they cause cancer in your cells. They also damage your eggs or your sperm, which can be passed on to future generations and can cause defects in your in the birth of your babies. We're talking here that fried foods are so exceedingly dangerous that even one serving 
of commercially or fast food French fries a week increases risk of, as a child or a teenager, increases risk of adult breast cancer by 26%. And we're just talking about one serving a week. It goes up from there. Please repeat that because I think that is just such a critical stat. Please repeat that so my audience can hear it one more time. Yes, we're talking about even low levels of fast food consumption in the medical literature is is aligned and correlates with very high rates of cancer later on. Just one serving, right? One serving of French fries a week. People say, well, everything in moderation. No, not poisons in moderation. You can't consume, you can't smoke cigarettes, snort cocaine, and eat French fries in moderation. The idea of <laughs> laugh when I'm saying, when I'm comparing, you just laugh, right? Right. But it's really, but the, it's people so don't realize that the dangers are just, that the dangers are all the same thing as smoking cigarettes. You know, people consider, the World Health Organization considers processed meats and barbecued meats a class one carcinogen, the same as asbestos and cigarette smoke. It's no different. Yes. We're talking here. It's, it's just that it this information hasn't gotten through the population yet, but it's, it's too, they say, well, this guy's radical. I'm not really, I'm not giving radical information. I'm not even giving my opinion. I'm just giving the studies and show what the data shows. You know what I mean? We're talking here that. Yeah. When, you're just uncovering the truth out there that the studies are showing. But the studies are showing, right. But that goes back, Dr. Furman, that goes back to the same point, which is there is so much misinformation in what a healthy food or a healthy diet looks like. Like I said, for me, doing an organic enchilada, Amy's enchilada organic for my daughter was part of a healthy meal. I was very proud of that, that on that frozen food aisle, I had picked something really healthy. Now, thousands of hours of research and talking to experts like yourself, I've realized, oh my God, it's not that much healthier. It may be not as toxic, but it's certainly not going to give my child the nutrition that she needs to grow into a healthy, happy child. So for all of those listeners who, like me, are really not clear on what a good diet looks like, can you please share what a micronutrient-rich diet should look like and how much fast food, clearly it's not once a week, but how much toxicity can a body handle through fast food? Yikes, that's almost an impossible question to answer. Let me answer the first question first, because that's easy to answer. Okay. So here we're talking about what constitutes a good diet. People should be eating a salad every day and a large salad once a day as a main dish, because those raw green vegetables and raw vegetables in a salad are necessary. And, And there's more than 200 epidemiologic studies linking raw vegetable consumption to lower rates of cancer in a relationship stronger than any other food you could possibly eat. So we're talking about a salad with some raw cruciferous greens in there, raw cruciferous like red cabbage or kale or bok choy or watercress or arugula, mm. some kind of raw, raw cruciferous, even a small amount, because a small amount raw has tremendous anti-cancer effects, longevity and brain promoting effects. And when you say and raw, then, is juicing an equivalent format or now you got to sit there and chew it? Uh, juicing. I can't say equivalent, but juicing, if you juice some vegetables, carrots and, and kale and beets and tomatoes, and, and you, that's very healthy to do, and it helps um, bring you, the levels of nutrients in your body to more favorable levels. But I can't say it's quite equivalent because the fiber benefits you, okay. and the chewing action mixes bacteria with the phytochemicals in your mouth and the mixture of bacteria. The healthy bacteria produces nitric oxide, which is an anti-inflammatory to the interior walls of blood vessels and helps prevent heart disease. So there's benefits, those effects to chewing it. We need to chew things to to keep our teeth healthy. So it's not, it's good, but not equivalent. You still need to eat the salad. You should do the salad and the juice. 
You still need to chew with raw salad every day. Mm. Okay. The next thing is, and also nuts and seeds are a critical longevity promoting food and they're the best source of fat in the diet because they contain all these sterols, stanols, and lignans that prevent cancer and extend lifespan. Mm. And of course, when you have some, a nut and seed, like I'll make a dressing with a peeled navel orange, some blood orange vinegar, a squeeze of lemon and some cashews and sesame seeds. Or I'll make a dressing with some low salt tomato sauce, blood, um, Black fig vinegar or balsamic vinegar with a couple of raisins and some almond butter and a little bit of sunflower seeds or I'll make a dressing with. So the dressing itself has, has seeds in it or nuts in it or mm. because those are particular and also the fat from the nuts and seeds facilitate the absorption of the anti-cancer compounds in the green and the vegetables you're eating in the meal. You could absorb 10 times the carotenoids and 10 times the phytochemicals when you have some of those healthy fats. And when you eat nuts and seeds as your source of fat, which are non-processed whole foods, Compared to eating oil, which is a processed fast food, mm -hmm. the oil gets absorbed very rapidly. It gets 100% converted into, into fat on your body, 120 calories per tablespoon, converts into 120 calories of fat on your body instantaneously because it's absorbed within five minutes. When you eat the same 120 calories from nuts and seeds, which is a lot more nuts and seeds than a tablespoon, now we're talking right. about a, you know, we're talking about a, a, you know, a quarter cup or something now. Those a big percent of those calories are sucking fat out into the toilet bowl because the sterols and stanols are binding fat, not allowing it to be absorbed into your bloodstream, and they're absorbed very slowly into the bloodstream. So the body primarily burns it as energy as opposed to storing it as fat. Furthermore, so we can keep going on and on, but the point I'm making is that a, a number one, a big some raw vegetables each day, and then the next thing is like a bowl of vegetable bean soup, which you can make on the weekend. Because you could put you can put the cooked vegetables in there, the onions and the mushrooms and the greens. You could juice some carrots and put that in. You could blend some kale or collards and put it into the blender raw and you blend it. You see, there's an enzyme called myrosinase in the cell wall of these green vegetables. The myrosinase enzyme is heat sensitive. That's when you're chewing the kale or the bok choy in your mouth, you're forming these anti-cancer ITCs being catalyzed by the myrosinase enzyme in the green vegetable. Now if I blend it in the blender, the kale, the onion has the alienase enzyme too, which took form the organosulfide anti-cancer compounds in onions, scallions, and leeks. Mm -hmm. If I'm blending it in the blender, it's raw, so I'm forming these anti-cancer compounds in the blender now instead of the mouth mm. while it's still raw. Now I pour the slurry of onion and greens into my soup base with the carrot juice and with the you know, with the water in there and the beans and the onions, and I, I pour it into the base of the soup, and now the cooking of the soup is not going to destroy the anti-cancer compounds. Had I put the whole kale or the whole onion in the soup, it would have destroyed them. But oh, because interesting. I, because I blended them first, I allowed the, the, the compounds to be formed, which are heat-stable compounds, heat-stable anti-cancer compounds, because I blended them while I'm still raw. So the point here is you can make a giant pot of soup on the weekends. You can allow your beans to cook for a long time to get rid of those undigestible lectins. And beans are a food link to enhanced longevity in all blue zones, and they're full of protein, they're full of resistant starch and soy digestible carbohydrates, they have anti-diabetic effects, they have lifespan anti-cancer effects, and you have a bowl of vegetable bean soup every day and a salad or a chili, a chili, a bowl of soup or some kind of thing with a bean, a hummus dip, some kind of beans every day is a lentils, beans, I have cooking on my stove right now, mm -hmm. a great pot of pea and lentil soup and I put some zucchinis in there and I put leeks in there and I put onion and scallion in there, so I have a great tasting pea lentil soup cooking right now on my stove and I'm going to have that with a big salad with a delicious dressing I made from my homemade tomato, I, from my tomato garden. Nice. I grew, like, 
I grew pounds of these tomatoes, so I cook them down, you know, on the stove with onion and mushroom and some spices in there and cook them on a very low flame for like eight hours, like thick in this nice and thick tomato sauce. Now, I can just mix some almonds and spices in there and make a great a little bit of vinegar in the tomato sauce and make a great salad dressing from this. I have the greatest salad in the world, you know, and I've, and I've kept cooked kale and red onion. I cooked dehydrated in my – but anyway, so I'm getting so excited about these delicious I know. Foods. Why, you're making then, us hungry now. And then people should eat, you know, three to five fresh fruits a day, including that they could berries or cherries, some of these high anthocyanin vegetables would protect the brain against aging. Mm -hmm. what, what better food than that in the world? And they could make – so we're talking here about eating salads and soup to maybe a walked vegetable dish. You put a quarter cup of water and you mix in your vegetables, your snow pea pods, your water chestnuts, your Chinese cabbage, your – broccoli or any kind of thing you want to throw into the wok and you toss it around for five minutes so it's partially cooked. You could throw a Thai sauce on that, a Thai peanut date, lemongrass, turmeric sauce on there. It takes a minute. I have a one I actually make in a, in a jar. I can just put take two tablespoons on it, a quick quarter cup of water, walk it for four minutes, two tablespoons of the sauce on top, walk it for another three minutes. I got a great tasting vegetable dish. In other words, what I'm saying right here is your diet has to be vegetable based, not grain based. Not, and especially not brown rice based like a macrobiotic diet because right now we have almost all the rice in America is contaminated with arsenic. You know, it's very, and white rice is too like, high glycemic and brown rice is too contaminated. You know, one of the challenges I think mothers face, and I can speak as a mother of two, you know, you talk about the fact that cold cereals, deli meats, sandwich breads, energy bars, these are all fast food. And back to as a mother, I'm looking at what I packed my kid for lunch. There is an energy bar in here. You know, what am I giving her for breakfast? There is cereal milk. Now, granted, the milk is almond milk. Granted, the cereal is, you know, it's a bean cereal. So I'm thinking, again, it's healthy. But there's certainly not a pound of vegetables going um, either in her breakfast or in her lunch. And in dinner, I can, you know, barely squeak by a few hidden vegetables in, um, in, some, of the, in some of the meals. You've written some wonderful recipes. So... Well, that's right. If you have the vegetable bean soup, they have the soup, they get the vegetables in that. If they have a salad, they get the vegetables in that, a cooked vegetable dish. You know, I know for, like breakfast can be old, you know, steel cut oats and seeds and berries and things like that. And with the milks, you're saying it's, there's certainly a lot of healthy things. You get the berries in that or the fruit in that. But the point is, I'm saying that, um, I do want people to eat more vegetables. You're right. And I, I do want people to learn how to make them taste great. And I do want the vegetables to be the centerpiece of the meal. Mostly what you eat should be vegetables, not grains and meats you know right. what i mean mostly what you eat should be vegetables right. majority and right. beans and grains. Right. and it shouldn't be coming out of a package right it should be something right. that you've actually cooked so thankfully you've written some recipes because like i said the challenge is we're going from where we are today which is cereal milk for breakfast energy bars and we're all feeling really good because these are organic foods but you're saying no no Switch. So it's small changes on a daily basis. Like you mentioned, maybe the breakfast switches to throwing in some fruit. So there's my, you know, four to five helpings of fruit. Maybe I can make a smoothie in the morning. Share with us your favorite recipe or share with us a couple of your favorite recipes, especially for breakfast for kids, because that's the one that I worry about. And something other than a bean soup, because Dr. Furman, I don't know how great your kids are, but if I was to try and feed my kids uh, a bean soup more than once a week, I, I, I think I'd have a mutiny in my hands. So oh, you got to taste my pea and lentil soup and you got to taste, you're not doing it right then. You got to take some of these soups that they are so delicious. People, you know, the mushroom soups, the, the even the anti-cancer soup with the carrot juice base is so, and it's sweet from the carrots. It's so delicious. 
Um, well, I can't wait to get left. started. I, yeah. I seriously cannot wait to get started with the you know, recipes. Some of the recipes are the, sure. the simplest recipes in the world, mm -hmm. like just how to make ice cream for the kid. Just take some two frozen bananas mm -hmm. and you put in a whole heaping teaspoon of ground vanilla bean powder. It's made from fresh vanilla bean. It's anti-cancer effects. You're not using a vanilla bean extract, using a ground vanilla bean powder with a banana, and you throw in a handful of macadamia nuts or walnuts to give it the creamy mouthfeel. You just whip that up with a, like a touch of soy milk or almond milk to make it blend easier, and you have the most delicious, healthy ice cream. You don't need to put a date in there to sweeten it. If you want to make a cocoa ice cream or chocolate ice cream, you could put a, a, a couple of teaspoons or a tablespoon of unsweetened cocoa powder, and then you would add one medjool date to it because sweetener, because the cocoa makes it more bitter, and you have to add a little extra sweetener in the form of the date to make it more taste the chocolatey feel. But what I'm saying is these simple recipes are so delicious that kids love. You know, we said the simple breakfast. I make them an apple pie breakfast, right? Ooh. Just take so just take some shredded apples that you cook over the stove with some raisins and some with a quarter cup of water for five minutes to soften it. I throw in the chopped walnuts and the flax seeds. Flax seeds have dramatic protection against cancer and anti-cancer effects. I can serve that with some little bit of oats on top and or a little steel cut oats on the bottom. I could put a dollop of banana ice cream on top if I want to. And my kids have always eaten like apple surprise, but they love apples and apple pie. You know, whether it's called apple pie a la mode, it's still, you know, but, um, but the point is, is that it's so easy. And, and my, and kids love vegetable dishes. You know how they bring them like the Chinese wok vegetable dishes. We just make good sauces. Like one of my make, they like dipping vegetables in snow pea pods and broccolini, you know, and, and shredded cabbage into good sauces. They taste delicious. One of my favorite sauces, which I showed on the, in the YouTube video, it's just so easy to make. You wok the vegetables for a, in a quarter cup of water for five minutes. You throw in a sauce made from, um, some lemongrass paste, hmm. a date, some peanut butter, a little bit of almond butter in there, some turmeric, and some, um, and a little bit of, um, what else am I missing? A little bit of garlic. You know, so you have the garlic, the turmeric, the lemongrass flavoring, lemongrass paste, with a date to sweeten, a little peanut butter, a little bit of almond milk in there, and you just whip that up, and you have a great sauce. Throw it on your wok, whisk it around for another minute or two, and you serve it. If it's a, if you're making these delicious sauces, you could a Mexican ole, a, you know, a Thai, you know, one of these Thai peanut sauces, whatever it is. Uh, I find I, that um, kids love to have put, take vegetables even to use these dipping sauces and things. So, um, you know, you're talking about a smoothie. You could make a great smoothie in the morning. You could put, you know, mangoes and romaine lettuce and kale in there with the flax seeds, with a little pineapple with the, and whip it up. And they could have it in the car with, a, with green vegetables mixed with, veg, with some fruit with pineapple and mango in there. And they don't even taste the vegetables in, this, in there. And you could put it in a colored cup. You know, instead of they don't want to see the green color, it looks too healthy. So you put mm -hmm. it in a cup with a with a straw and a, and a top on it, and they drink that, and, the, and they can drink that. And they're rushing to school. They have a, a kale, lettuce, mango, pineapple smoothie, for example. You know, there's there's all kinds of ways we make healthy food taste great. From chocolate cake made with zucchini and carrots and and um, and beets to a carrot and beet bars to you know all kinds of things we're making. To um, different bean dips, to bean, but to bean brownies, and we feel like put vegetables and beans and these healthy foods and anything in the dessert. Put them in the desserts. Put them in the breakfast food. Put in the lunch food. So we can, you know, we can give our kids these, and and teach them and show them the fun of making healthy food taste great. And and kids aren't stupid. You know, they can understand the concept that what you put in your body makes you and your brain. I remember when my daughter Kara, who's now 23, when she was four. Mm -hmm. She was at a health club and she said to me, we were coming out of the house, picking her up at the boot camp. She called it a boot boot camp. And she said, don't these kids, don't these parents love their children? And this is a four year old talking. 
I said, of course they love their children. She said, how come they're all eating junk food? They're eating donuts and, and chips, which destroys their health. And the parents are giving them to them. And I said, they don't know what we know. They don't know how bad these foods are to the body. And she said, well, she said, how could they be so stupid? How could you not know that what you put in your mouth makes your body? So I said, well, it, because everybody's doing it. And if everybody was smoking a cigarette on the bus stop and on the way and, and the, in the playground, every mother and every kid was smoking a cigarette, you'd think nothing of it. Since everybody does it, they don't think. They're just exactly. brains are completely divorced from them, what they're doing. But we talk about it so you know about this. So she just couldn't get over the fact that people are so stupid they would put poisons in their body. You know what I mean? Um, so what I'm saying is when you learn this as a family and you learn the destructive effects that fast food is happening in our society, and kids born with, you know, kids would soon get brain cancers and acute blastocytic leukemia and autism and, and heart defects caused by their parents eating fast food. And we're talking about when they learn about that mental illness and occurring from people eating fast food and how fast food is destructive to brain and intelligence and performance in school and to your own happiness, that kids are not stupid. They're not self-destructive. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's the adults that have the problem. When, I, when we give these lectures to the children in school, children embrace it. They eat it up. The parents object. Because they're, they're the, the addicts that don't want to give up their fast food and they need to be trained simultaneously with the kids. We treat the kids, the kids get it. And I always say to the kid, I always say, you know, we need you to help change your parents because they've become addicted to these things and they're having a hard time with this. You can understand and learn how to make the healthy foods taste great and understand how we do these cooking classes with kids and they love the food, the healthy food we cook with them. They're not I think the that's obstacle. really critical. We have to start teaching people how to cook healthy stuff. I mean, you know, Cake Wars is really popular and Cupcake Wars and... You look at it again what's on TV, and it's a it's lot of. Isn't that crazy? People are using junk food to recreate instead of turning my healthy food taste great. Anyway, you and I are both on the same page. It's very frustrating, but it we is. are making what it's it's happening, and that's where I'm. That's why I'm sitting here jumping at the bit, so passionate trying to get this book out because I really feel this book can take a major inroad to to change things. Oh, absolutely. I think we really have to figure out how to create this movement in a way that everyone now falls in love with cooking. And making these delicious meals. And like you said, they're easy to make. One of the things you mentioned in your book is a food desert. What's a food desert? Well, we're talking about there are urban areas in our country where there isn't exposure to supermarkets and produce. The only food you can buy, unless you have a car and drive five miles away, and the people don't have, don't really have the opportunity to do that. There's only convenience stores that serve processed foods and fast food and junk food. And there's fast food restaurants. And we have these areas where people live where they have worst, where they have worst food exposure and food opportunities. And in those areas, we see 10 times the risk of heart attack risk, which is the leading cause of death in America. And we see, you know, more dementia, more obesity, more, more brain damage, more poverty, more, more, more problems. So we're talking about identifying particular dangerous zones in across America where the word, where the term fast food genocide is happening. We're destroying whole segments of our population and it's divided and it's, and it's very often divided by racial lines here. So it's a form of, you know, food opportunity here and, and taking away people's opportunity to have, you know, we're talking here that our constitution, the foundation of this country, Based on we're all created equal, we have want to have equal opportunity in life, and we're taking away opportunity from large segments of our population in fast food deserts because there's no exposure and opportunity to even feed your child healthfully. With the food stamps, with the small amount of money you have, we have to be able to work together to deliver and make available healthy food to to um, vulnerable, vulnerable populations. So this is a very um, – it's part of the book, mm-hmm. and it's a strong part of my advocacy. 
is that we have to give every person, every child that's born, the right opportunity in life. And to keep in mind that very often these childs are damaged before they're born. Because it's not the fast food they eat after they're born. It's the fast food the parents ate when they were pregnant. And before pregnancy, the fast food you eat during your life damages the eggs that are living in you your whole life before you give birth and damaging. So we're talking about how fast foods in childhood and in your teenage years and your young 20s, how it damages your children and how this is information that we need to teach people. And we need to especially focus on areas that are most vulnerable in America to help elevate their their happiness their ability to reach the American dream and their, and to stop this racial inequality that's going on. Beautifully said. You've had some great critical praise for the book. Um, John Robbins says fast food genocide is one of the most important books you'll ever read. And Dr. Mark Hyman, who I'm a big fan of says, uh, Dr. Furman connects the dot, not only between food and obesity and diabetes, but also almost everything that's wrong with our society. Clearly, it's a book we should all be reading, and the book comes out October 17. Now, you've got something special for us if we pre-order. Tell us a little bit about that. Right. I really um, encourage people to pre-order it on Amazon before October 17th because then it counts towards the New York Times bestseller status, which I'm trying to get this book to be a New York Times bestseller as quick as we can to get more books out there. But anyway, so it sounds self-serving, but it's all, of course, my, you know, I really want this. I really think this book can change America. So, yes, yeah, so if people order on Amazon, get their order number, they can come to drfurman.com slash FFG, Fast Food Genocide, drfurman.com slash FFG, and then they can get the free the chapter right away, The Brain on Fast Food, that chapter to start reading right away, chapter two. And they will also get a live Facebook with me with those people who pre-order it so we can do some more questions and answers and discussions together if they like. Oh, that's fantastic. That, that's great to yeah. know. We're going to, Dr. Furman, we're going to put this information in our show notes as well so that those who are interested are able to just with one click go ahead and pre-order the book. And this is fascinating. And you order a bunch of the books and give it to, you know, we it's got us to your friends too. I agree. Friends you know, family. maybe maybe we can figure out how companies can subsidize these books and make them available to high school students. I mean, this is yeah, the kind of book that really we've got to get in the hands of high school students. Right. And I'm teaching courses now. I'm teaching courses for teachers, for CMA, for teachers' education credits to review this information with them. So I'm trying to work on that to have educators be more familiar with this and also to have um, teachers in high school and colleges teach us, use the book as part of their curriculum. I love it. I love it. So before we, before we leave you, give our listeners one critical mandatory advice as they – go out there day to day and they look at the food that they're going to eat and they've listened to this podcast, what is the easiest change that they can make to get going on this, what I call lifestyle redesign journey? Well, I want them to eat a salad every day, salad, a bowl of salad every day and a, and a bowl of, and have something with beans, either a chili or a vegetable dish or a, or a bean soup or something every day. That's the, that's the start. And I want, and my last message to people is that, don't accept sickness. Don't accept taking drugs for high blood pressure, mm -hmm. and high cholesterol, and diabetes. We that food can solve your headaches, can get rid of asthma, can re, can help resolve autoimmune conditions. That that food is more effective than medications. And don't expect, don't think that your avenue for health is going to doctors and taking pills. That's for emergencies. We have to take charge of our own health. And we can control our health destiny and live a long, happy, and healthy life. And food is the answer. So if you're suffering, and if you're diabetic, and if you're on blood pressure medications, get this information, get off, and you learn how to get off the medications and get well because the medications are not protecting you. It's a false sense of security. You're still at risk until you get rid of those issues. 
brilliantly said, thank you so much, Dr. Furman, for all the great things you're doing. For the rest of you, definitely grab the book, Change How Your Family Eats. That's the only way you're going to live happier, longer, and a great life. So I'll see you on the next podcast. Till then, eat a salad and get that bean soup in your diet on a daily basis. That's a wrap. Share your love with a five-star review and get show notes at healthbootcamps.com. Connect with us on Health Bootcamps Facebook and Twitter. Also, don't forget to check out other great interviews and subscribe to the Get Healthier podcast today.